It was in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus went down to pray right before, um, right before he was taken, arrested and taken to trial and then ultimately taken to the cross where he was killed. And it was in the garden that he prayed to his father and addressed his father as Abba, Father. In chapter 26 in Matthew, verse 39, the text reads, Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed. He said, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And the translation here in the CSB that I'm using does say father a couple of times in this verse. Um, the the um, perfect translation is Abba, which is a bit rare for Jesus to reference God as Abba Father. This is a, uh, it's a reverent yet really loving name for God. A name that Jesus ascribes to God, revealing to us, to his disciples around him, that Jesus trusts God and trusts God's plans for him. We see that in this anguish that Jesus feels about what he knows he's about to encounter, but him still being able to say, not my will, but yours be done, Abba, Father. If possible, take this cup from me, but if not, let it be your will that is done. This is a beautiful, raw, revealing prayer of Jesus' love for God and his trust for God, his Father. It's this love and trust that Jesus desires for you and I to have for God, for the Father as well. And it's back in Matthew chapter 6. He taught his disciples to pray in a way that helps them, helps us be reminded that God is trustworthy. So let's look at this together as recorded in Matthew's gospel, beginning with verse 9. Text reads, Therefore you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. So Jesus is teaching his friends to pray here. And we we know that in part because in Luke chapter 11, we also have Luke's recording of Jesus teaching this prayer. Now, they're recorded, uh, written down a little bit different between Luke and Matthew. Don't don't fret about that. Luke's is a little bit shorter. Matthew has a little bit more um, in there. And then you'll know, as we read with, uh, as we recited with Oksana earlier, what we typically pray together, the Lord's Prayer as it is today, even, even has a little bit more girth to it. As well, don't get thrown off by the dissimilarities. Luke's shorter version likely means it came first, but we don't know that for sure. But that's that's likely, and it likely also means that it's a little bit closer to what Jesus actually taught in that in that moment. And Matthew's version seems to include a little bit more, which we believe include was written several decades after 
Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. So it would have included some of the ways the church had begun to incorporate it in their, day, in their practices with Jesus and their rhythms together. And early believers, how they would have recited it, which is really cool. So in Matthew's version, we see, yes, a response to what Jesus is asked in Luke 11. Lord, teach us to pray by his disciples. We see a version of the prayer that Jesus taught. So in that sense, it's a gift from Jesus to the church. But it's also, and I was really encouraged by this this week, it's also a gift from Jesus and the church. And I love that. So as we, as we look at it together this morning, we're going to go verse by verse for just a, a few minutes. I, the point here is for us to be encouraged by what Jesus actually taught the disciples to pray and to, to look a bit into the theology behind what Jesus is, is teaching here. So let's look at verse 9 first. It says, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Hey, y'all, God's name is different. It's different than any other name. It speaks to the Lord being different than any other being. And, and, and the Lord being different means the Lord is to be revered, to be set apart. That's what the word holy means, literally, to be set apart. And put this way in this prayer, the, pray, the person praying is urging God, who is different, to act upon the world. Now, don't miss that. I was so encouraged by this this week. Yes, this is an extolling of God. This is a saying that God's name is holy. But it doesn't stop at just ingratiation, as if God needs us to pump God up. This is us. This is the disciples. This is us in praying this, asking God to act. God, your name, is to be revered. Let it be revered. Please. And just look around, y'all. There's so many examples in our lives. Yes, the lives of those around us, and unfortunately in my life too. I fall short way too often that we need God to step in and say, hey, I'm not like that. I'm like this. I'm set apart. I'm holy. I am worthy to be worshiped and when God reveals God's self like that worship is the only response and we will worship and that means we won't worship other objects and as I've said I, I feel the ugliness that exists in, in the world it's all too prevalent these days in our particular context as this pandemic looms and in thinking about God, who is absolutely trustworthy, I kept circling back this week to the story that we find in, in Exodus 32. In Exodus 32, we have Moses, who has been away from the Israelites uh, for quite a while now. Um, verse 32, it says the people, in chapter 32, it says the people saw that Moses lagged was slow in coming down from the mountain where Moses was meeting with God. So it's, the Israelites, it's at least fair for them at this point to wonder if their leader who has drugged them out into the desert where they are quite lost, wandering, wondering when God is going to ultimately deliver them to the promised land as promised. 
They wonder if Moses is ever coming back. And if you know the story, you'll remember that they go to Aaron, who's the closest person to Moses that they can find. And they say, Aaron, you got to help us here. Where's your brother? What's going on? We are itching for someone or something to lead us to where we need to go. So we need you to make a God, some gods for us to, to follow, to look to, to give us some direction. Well, unfortunately, Aaron gets all their jewelry, if you know the story, and, and does that and fashions another God for them to look to in the wilderness. Unfortunately, Moses does come back. He's not happy when he does. Y'all, what's inherent in our passage in Matthew is Jesus showing us the Father who is present in our lives, who is not distant, who has not gone away, who we do not have to wonder whether or not is coming back. God who is near us and God who can be approached in prayer. God who can be approached in prayer. The Israelites did not have that luxury. They did not believe at the time. Moses was the intermediary for them. So without Moses, they did not, they lacked that connection with God. We do not lack that connection. Jesus is showing us here that we can go straight to God with everything that ails us. Any anxiety that we may have. And Jesus is giving us a way to do that here by teaching us this prayer. This prayer to be prayed to God who is different. God who can be trusted. Let's look at verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hey y'all, is Jesus the king of your life? Is God your king? To pray your kingdom come is to long for God's kingdom as if you believe that it is to come, as if you believe that it is coming. Jesus has been revealed. We know how this story goes. As Jesus sits with his disciples, they don't know it specifically at the time, but we do know that Jesus has revealed his kingship in his death on the cross and in his being risen from that death and the resurrection. And we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus teaches us to pray. Because the kingdom, I can't remember if this is N.T. Wright or Tim Keller. It's probably both, but I love it. The kingdom is precisely where things are as the king would have them. The kingdom is precisely where things are as the king would have them. So to pray God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven is to understand that the kingdom, the kingdom is for this world. Now, I'm reminded of Jesus's interaction, his conversation with Pilate near the end of his life before he was killed in John chapter 18. And Jesus and Pilate are... Are talking and Pilate says, your own nation and the chief priest, that your own people have handed you over to me. So what have you done? And Jesus replies in, in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. Catch that, of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. It's important, I think. It's important as to what we believe we are praying when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus is saying here to Pilate is, yeah, my kingdom is not of this world, but that doesn't mean my kingdom is not for this world. My kingdom is not from this world, which is the terminology he uses at the end of that verse. Sure. But that doesn't mean it's not for this world. And for believers, those following and being formed by Jesus to come together and to pray together for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, for the kingdom to be as the king would have it is so important. And that is precisely what we are praying when we pray this. Not that we would be taken away someday to where God's kingdom is, but that we would be transformed here and that God's world would be transformed here into what the kingdom is to be like. Because the kingdom is where things are as the king would have them. The kingdom is coming, yet not fully revealed. Verse 11. Verse 11 teaches us that God is trustworthy. Give us today our daily bread. It was a few chapters before chapter 32 in Exodus where the Israelites learn of daily bread that would be sent to him. Many of you know this story and know it uh, as manna from heaven, whereas the bread would rain down. Well, verse 4 says, I'm going to rain down, in chapter 16 of Exodus, I am going to rain down bread from heaven. And each day the people will go out and gather enough for that day. I have to confess to you this morning that I haven't thought about that enough in a while. And I tended to get to where I thought that God just rained down enough for that day, but that's not how the story's told. Do you know this? God actually rains down a whole bunch of manna, and the Israelites are instructed only to take enough for that day. That's a big difference, right? To just take what you will need. In fact, as the story's told, those who took a little more, which if you just watch me for a week, I definitely would be in that camp, I think, as I accumulate stuff. We're getting ready to move back into our house. Um, I know you know that because I tell you every week. And we just have way too much stuff. We, I don't think, I hope we're going we're to get rid of it, right? Leslie, we're going to get rid of it. We can do it. We just accumulate stuff. So I think I would be in the camp that, you know, got a little for extra for next Thursday. Well, in the story, that stuff just went bad immediately. Like God really meant only take what you need for today. So think about that story as we pray this prayer and see what the ramifications are for us as we live out trusting God for our daily bread, which God surely does provide to practice this as the Bible teaches, as I believe Jesus is alluding to here, is to actually practice minimalism of sorts. Now, I don't mean to be ascetic where you scorn accumulating anything. I'm not saying to get rid of your 401ks. That is not what Jesus is saying. I did not say that. I don't think that's Jesus's point here, but I do believe Jesus is saying that we should be generous. 
that we should see the things that we have been blessed with and have access to as not our own, but as God's and therefore available for those who may need them more than we do. I seem to remember about Jesus not really appreciating the farmer who built the bigger barns for the excess, right? If you remember that story. Jesus is saying we're to be generous. We're to be people who trust God. Who trust God to rain down bread, manna from heaven. And because we believe and know that God will, we are freed up to be generous to one another. Because we know that God will continue to provide. The Israelites were provided for every day and instructed to go out and get what God had provided for them for that day. And maybe more importantly, to pray this and to live into this, what God is calling us to is to see that God does provide precisely through the church. So our generosity is actually living out this prayer. Our gathering is not, not just for ourselves, but for one another is this prayer taking on life and helping through the work of the Holy Spirit through us, the kingdom to come. There was once a story told of two monks who attended a preaching class in a seminary years ago. And over the weekend, the entire class went to visit where the monks live in the Trappist monastery where they lived near there. And they sat down to eat, the class did, while they were there. They sat down to eat bread and drink water. And this bread was some of the most extraordinary bread that those around the table, particularly those who don't live in the monastery, had ever eaten. It was just delicious. And the scene found itself just being people sitting around the table and enjoying this bread and not saying a word to each other because all they could focus on was how good this food was. And then finally, someone broke the silence and asked the monks, did, did you make this or did someone give it to you? And the monk responded, yes. They said, no, did you make this or did someone give it to you? And the monk responded, yes. Both possibilities being true. And it answers the question perfectly. Yes, we made the bread. And yes, someone gave it to us. It's all a gift. That which we have, that which we share, that which takes care of us, God who is provider, it all comes from God. And these monks understood that, that both possibilities are true. I pray that you know, regardless of what your bounty in life might be, that God provides. And if you have more than enough, like I do, Lord, let us be generous. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What does this mean? Well, I remember when I was beginning to drive back when I, this was in the mid nineties. And one of my first jobs other than farmhand was little league umpire. 
and I umpired baseball games. I really enjoyed uh, doing that, and I had begun to drive, so I was able to take myself to the ball field, and there was one, well, this was during a time, some of you will remember it, when we did this amazing thing where we made plans and we stuck to those plans. This was before cell phones, before we could change our plans at any moment. And so I had to go down to the ball field and umpire the games that I was supposed to umpire without you know, any way of keeping in touch with home. Does that scare you, kids? Can you imagine having to do that? So this particular Saturday, I had the 12 o'clock game, the 2 o'clock game, and the 4 o'clock game. So I left the house in the morning, and Mom and Dad knew that I would be home around 5, well, I would be home probably around 6 o'clock. 4 o'clock game would end around 5.30. I would eat a cheeseburger, Snickers, and a Coke, as is my custom, and wolf that down and then drive home and get there by 6 o'clock. So as I was, well, I didn't go home. I stayed for the six o'clock game. I don't remember the circumstances that caused me to stay. I'm sure it had something to do with a girl. And I got home at, or I was pulling down my road at like a quarter to eight. And I kind of had that feeling in my stomach, like, you know what? It's probably not good that I'm just now getting home at 7:45. And when I pulled in the driveway and saw um, brother Bill, my dad standing on the front porch with his arms like this, looking like he'd been there since last Wednesday, that my suspicions were confirmed. But mostly he was just relieved that I was okay. You know, sin in all of its forms has effects. Some effects are greater than others, but all sin creates some sort of turmoil in our own lives and in the lives of others. I'm sure there were repercussions for my actions that day. I'm sure that I got grounded, and I'm sure that it took mom and dad a while to trust me again after that because sin has consequences. To be forgiven our debts is to be relieved of those consequences. It's to be relieved of those effects from sin. And we pray for God to be gracious to us in all that we do. In all the ways we fall short, sins of omission and commission, we pray for God to be gracious to us as God is. And we pray for God to cause us to be that gracious to one another. Do you see that? We show God's grace to one another in that we extend it to one another as well. It was my dad. I remember him teaching me. Holding grudges for one second is no mark of a Christian. I know it's not fair. My fifth grader, Elliot, talks about what's fair and what's not fair all the time. I love your sense of justice, son, and this is not fair that we can't hold a grudge. But you can't if you're following and being formed by Jesus. You've got to let it go. Precisely because of what God has done for us. Jesus does not hold a grudge against us. We can't do it. They can't hurt you. Those effects can't hurt you because of what Christ has done. Verse 13. We're almost done. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. Some translations say evil. I think I prefer evil. I think this means, Lord, if we could avoid the trials and the suffering That'd be great. Temptation here is is more closely aligned to not as much that which 
how it causes us to stumble into sin, more just the, the trials and sufferings that exist in any and all of our lives, some greater than others. We know we will endure trials. Jesus said in the previous chapter that blessed, actually blessed are those who endure persecution. But I would not go as far as to say that God brings about trials into our lives intentionally. Now, perhaps that's true, and we'll find that out. But I see it more, I lean more toward the brokenness in the world has allowed for trials, for suffering for us. And, and we must have one another to endure such. Brokenness abounds, and it affects us and others daily. But the key is to understand that God is trustworthy. And that is how we get through these trials. And to pray this prayer together often. I encourage you to use it as a breath prayer. Just say it throughout your days. To pray this prayer truly will help deliver us from the evil that so abounds around us.